Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We've been in a series called Hearts Reunited. Hearts Reunited. And what we're doing is we're looking at the beginning or the origins of the New Testament church, the early church, and how the church was founded. And we've been looking at the book of Acts together, and Jason Torrance and Ben Barnhart did wonderful jobs as Sarah and I were out of town the past two Sundays. It's so glad to be back, but didn't they just do a wonderful job, Jason teaching and Ben teaching? Wonderful. Yes, yes. And just a wonderful job overall in forming this series and putting a lot of thought and a lot of heart behind, like, what does it mean to be gathered again together? What does it mean to be gathered again together? And not just taking up one space, but what does it mean to be not just occupying the same geographical space, but to be um, together in vision and to be together in purpose? And so... Um, we're uh, excited to move forward with that. And so this morning, I wanted to look at Acts 2.42 and the time remaining, and then also look at Acts 2.1-4. through 4. So if you had your Bibles and you wanted to turn to Acts chapter 2, that would be great. And in Acts 2.42, we read that the early apostles, that the early church fully devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking of bread. The need to be Christians together, to be Christ followers together, is a biggie, is a real biggie. And what we're trying to accomplish this morning, or trying to grasp this morning from the Lord, is like, how do we do that on the other side of COVID? How do we have an authentic kind of like expression of fellowship if we're to be devoted to fellowship and breaking of bread? How can we do that? How can we be Christians together to sense that need for uh, fellowship, the, the beauty of the bride, of the church, the necessity of connection to one another? The need uh, to all function together, not just consumers. Did you know that? You're not just consumers this morning, just you know, eating and eating and consuming things like going to Chipotle and ordering, I'll take this, I'll take a youth group, uh, uh, I'll take a small kids ministry, and I'll take some really, really awesome preaching and some really, really awesome worship, thanks a lot, and then we go eat our meal and then we're done. No, we're called to function together as the body, each one of us playing a vital role in what it means to be the church, from what it means to be the church together. We're not consumers. We have communion, co-munion, co-mission, communion together and fellowship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, I wanted to look at Acts 2, 1 through 4. Dang, I'm going to be like super speedy today. Okay, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Luke writes this. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit enabled them. Oh, it's so good. Let's just keep on reading. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under uh, heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? All of those languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. 3,000 people come to follow Christ that morning. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 of them come to Christ. There's three things that I wanted to draw out this morning from our passage, and those three things are that they all met together in one place. They all waited on God, and they all operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say all. All of them. Not just big A apostles. The weak, the strong, from the least, last, to the first, and the front of the line. All of them operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is difficult for us to understand because we live in such a fragmented place, don't we? This little rock that we call earth we, is very fragmented. It's very divided, especially over the, you know what I'm going to say, how many times have people, not just me, said, especially, right, this little caveat, after the course of the past year and a half, even more divided than ever, even more broken than ever is the world that we live. It seems like folks everywhere are separated, segregated, and splintered. We see it everywhere. We see it in politics, people scream unity and tolerance, but we fail in our efforts to create it. And yet, the whole time there's this desire within us to see hearts reunited, not just in the church, not just coming back to the building, but in society at large. We want things to be, that's the desire of the kingdom in us. When we see misgivings, when we see sin, when we see evil, not just in ourselves, but in society, we say, that ain't right. What is that expression? That's the desire of Jesus inside of us saying that the things that are happening in our world today shouldn't be happening like that. Why? Because Jesus came to set things right. And we know that sometime, at some place, somewhere, it will be made right because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we pray at Vineyard Cleveland, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Just like the church has prayed for 2,000 years, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Because we recognize you can't have unity without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to make things right in our culture. We need the Holy Spirit to make things right in our church. We need the Holy Spirit to make things right in our own hearts. And this talk may splinter really quickly from fellowship to the person of Jesus, and I hope that that's okay with you guys. Because I hope that you recognize we can't have fellowship without keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. Where am I? Oh my gosh. I'm just everywhere today. Oh my gosh, you guys are in for it. Goodness. Where are my amazing quotes that I had to back this up? Oh yeah, Martin Luther King Jr., he said, 
He said it back in the day. He said, I cannot become all that I'm meant to be if you are not becoming all that you're meant to be. We need one another. It's not just cliche. We need one another. We need one another. This passage is super exciting, and it's also super scary. It's super exciting because we're witnessing the first Christian community take shape. Bam! The Holy Spirit comes, and this thing is like the living church, like released on the planet Earth. That's amazing. That's exciting. And it's also terrifying because we're like, what's going on with the tongues of fire separating and settling on people's head? This is the inauguration of the church, and it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. And then in chapter 1, we're told that Jesus, after he sends to the Father, he tells his disciples to wait. He says, wait, stay put, don't move anywhere, don't go anywhere. Who, <laughs> who here loves to wait? Not one of you. I hate waiting. Oh my gosh, the microwave takes too long. I want my Hot Pocket now. Not in 20 seconds. Hot Pockets. Jim Gaffigan. We hate to wait, don't we? You know, many people say, like, patience is a lost art, but... I don't even think that's true because there's not one of us on the face of the planet who's ever enjoyed waiting. I mean, all you need to do is talk to a pregnant mother who's in her third term on her eighth month. She's like, yes, I love this right now. This is amazing. No, you will never hear one mom say that at month eight. They're like done with it. They're like, get this thing out of me. I'm done. I can't find a place to sleep. Like, who loves to wait? No one loves to wait. Waiting is the worst. And Jesus says, wait. Jesus says, wait. Church, wait. And he says, not just to wait, he says to the group, he says, wait together. Wait together. Isn't that amazing that Jesus tells the church and is telling us to wait together? It's a huge thing to wait together. Can you picture the scene here with Peter and Paul encouraging one another, coming together and enabling each other to wait? These two created space for each other to wait. They affirmed for each other that something was happening that was worth waiting for. It's a beautiful expression of what it means to form community. When we wait together, when we just wait together, as Jesus promised that we would see It's a beautiful expression of what it looks like to form community, to form fellowship. Because when we wait together, we affirm in the other person, hey, what you're waiting for is worth it. Think about Mary and the scene before Jesus was born and she meets, um, who does she meet with? Dang it, I'm so off this morning. My goodness, I cannot find my way. Elizabeth, and she's meeting with Elizabeth, and then John leaps in her womb because Mary comes into contact with her, and John is worshiping inside of Elizabeth's womb, and there's this connection between them, and there's this encouragement of like, what you're waiting for is worth it. What you're waiting for is worth it. When we wait together, there's real power, there's real power for that, and there's something in that for us. 
when we're all gathered here around a promise that something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. When the church gathers, the Holy Spirit comes. There's a real power when we wait together. Because we see in Pentecost, when they wait together, they're filled together. Wait together, filled together. Something's going to happen. The church of Jesus here is like a symphony that's being played out. The church as a symphony. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, and one of my favorite books, like top three, my mom gave this book to me right after I started following Jesus, and I just treasure it. Listen to what Tozer says about community. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive towards closer fellowship. Do you see? It's the Holy Spirit that brings us together. You know, uh, Brett and Steph McNally, Steph did a wonderful job surveying all of our leaders and we'll push that survey out to people, and we'll learn some, to the rest of the church, we'll learn some wonderful data from that of how people felt over the survey, uh, over COVID, and how we can move forward in that. But I think Steph would be the first one to tell you that the survey's great, and it's great to hear how you're feeling and how you're thinking, but if we don't have the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? The Holy Spirit is the one who causes fellowship. Our eyes turning away from ourselves and on to Jesus. Watch this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. Bonhoeffer, of course, the pastor in Nazi Germany who was jailed for loving Jesus and then eventually martyred. He says this about community. He wrote wrote this wonderful book I'd highly recommend. It's called Life Together. Life Together. Bonhoeffer says this. Human love is directed, human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. Therefore, human love seeks direct contact with the other person. It loves him not as a free person, but as one whom it binds itself to. It wants to gain, to capture by every means. It uses force. It desires to be irresistible, to rule. But spiritual love is different than that. Have you guys ever experienced that? Human love, what Bonhoeffer's talking about, try to, try to grasp it on your own or sense that from another person trying to latch on to you. They're so focused on you. They're so focused on the relationship. Bonhoeffer's saying that here that it'll never work. What Bonhoeffer is saying about community, about the church is like, hey, when you come into contact with another Christian, you don't need to strive. Everybody take a breath. Just Relax. Just relax. Why? Because Jesus stands in between you 
and the, per, the other person that Jesus loves so dearly. So Jesus determines. When your eyes are on Jesus, you don't need to strive for connection. You don't need to strive for significance. You don't need to strive for affirmation or even encouragement. Why? Because you know it's, a, it's identity, isn't it? It's identity, Nita. It's knowing you're loved by Jesus and that Jesus stands in between you and that person. So you don't need to latch on. You need to latch on to Jesus. He's the one. And he's standing in between you and the other person that Jesus loves so dearly. My goodness, you guys. Hot pockets. no way there's no way look at all of these pages my goodness so ambitious aren't we Evan so ambitious oh Sharon I can't listen to that <laughs> I can't just do it I can't thank you <laughs> I'm out I'll see you guys <laughs> What does it mean that they're together in one place? What does it mean that the early church was together in one place? And if there's not one thing that you take, I hope that you take this away because this is God's heart for our community, for Vineyard Cleveland, and what it means to be fellowship, to be in authentic relationship with one another. This is what it means. So when the scripture here talks about that they were together in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's what we read in English. The translation, the Greek word for together in one place, this phrase is, this word here is uh, homothumadon. Homothumadon. It means in one accord. What does it mean? It means that there was more happening here than a bunch of people simply gathered in one physical geographical space. They weren't just taking up space together in one room. The definition of homo thumaden includes like musical terms, like in unison, or to rush along. There's like a life to it. The image is musical, like, like a number of different notes that are being played or sounded, which are harmonizing. They're different, but they harmonize in pitch and in tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a maestro. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of followers of Jesus. They're blended together in unity of hunger and purpose. And this, we're told in Acts, characterizes the church. This is who we should be. Different musical notes. You guys all play different musical notes. You're different than I am. And the person sitting next to you is different than you. We're all different, but we harmonize as the church in such a way to bring beauty and usher in the kingdom of God. It's a really beautiful picture just in that one word, homothumadon, together in one place, not just taking up space. And it's all over the book of Acts. It's all over it. It's like in every chapter. Check it. Acts 1.14 
They all continued with one accord, homo thumadon, in prayer and supplication. Acts 2.1, we just read. Acts 2.46, what we're basing the whole message series off of. They continuing daily with one accord and in the temple. Acts 4.24, their voice to God with one accord. Acts 5.12, and they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. They're hanging out in porches. Homo thumadon, one accord. One mind, one purpose, one hunger, one vision. This is powerful that they weren't just taking up space together. Does it mean if we are homothumaden, if we are of one mind, of one accord, does it mean that we all need to vote the same way? No, it does not. Does it mean that we need to parent our kids the same way? No, it doesn't. The way that I parent my kids might look drastically different from the way that you parent your kids. Does it mean that we all need to get behind the Cleveland Guardians in this final stretch of the city? Yes, it does, in one accord. You're like, I hate that name. It's the worst. <laughs> it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we all have to think or tick the same way. But God and his beautiful nature of like who he is sets it up in a way that he knows we're all different. But that when we bring what we bring and you bring what you bring and you bring what you bring, it makes up this mosaic of like powerful, life-changing kingdom moments. And I say it so grandiose, right, so huge, but really it's mundane. Really it's like the mundane thing of like, hey, do you need help gardening? Or hey, do you need help taking home your groceries? Hey, do you want to watch the game together? Hey, do you want to, do you see what I'm saying? It's really like ordinary things, the this, this sacred in the ordain, or in the mundane. It's really wonderful. So, um, yeah, it means that they're not just taking up space together, but they're, um, they're fulfilling vision and purpose together and that is worth waiting for and that is how we live being in one accord that's how we say and we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord that he's Lord of our marriages that he's Lord of our kids that he's Lord over his church that he's Lord over the whole city that's how we do it that's how we do it it's in the power of the Holy Spirit being together in one accord in Acts 2.2, 2, we read that the Holy Spirit completes the room. He completes the room. Author uh, Richard Rohr says that grace in the Holy Spirit is like the goodness glue. Meaning that like, for all of the places that we're broken, for all of the places that we go astray, that the Holy Spirit comes and fills those places. He's actually like holding things together that we're not strong enough to hold together. And that he comes and he's the goodness glue. And we read in Acts 2 just that, that the Holy Spirit fills completely the whole room. And notice to how Luke draws our attention to how that happens. How that happens. Check out verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled, here it is, the whole house where they were sitting. 
Luke says that the Holy Spirit comes suddenly. That's what we're after. That's the promise we're waiting around, to experience the Holy Spirit coming suddenly. Can we be surprised this morning? Be surprised. Surprise, good. Surprise, not a surprise like a creepy guy in a clown mask hiding behind the door. That's creepy. Surprise, good, like the Christmas present that you've always longed for. Seeing and receiving that Christmas present. Good surprise. That when the Holy Spirit shows up, we're told in Acts that he shows up suddenly. He shows up suddenly. And oftentimes when we least expect it, he surprises us. He rushes in. In other translations, uh, this verse is... um, this, this verse is translated to that the Holy Spirit completes the room. Now, what is the Holy Spirit doing when he fills this room? Is he like moving in like some mist from the Lord of the Rings? He's like, ooh, are there cracks on the floor that I can fill? No, like the Holy Spirit's not doing that. He's not moving in like a, a mist from the Lord of the Rings. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's filling people. The Holy Spirit fills people. He doesn't fill like the cracks in Dan's kick drum. I mean, I suppose he could if he wanted to fill those cracks in Dan's kick drum. But I suppose he likes those open. But what the Holy Spirit really loves is filling people. He envisions people. He empowers people. And so when we read that the Holy Spirit completes the room, this is really good news for people like me. Because what it means is that everybody gets in on the Holy Spirit. Theologians agree that there are kind of like 120 people in the room that day when the Holy Spirit came. Three, four, five. Are we under 120 people? Heck yes, we are. Is that amazing? Yes. Why? Because what we read here is that the Holy Spirit fills everyone. From four-year-old, five-year-olds to 95-year-olds. From the weakest of us to the strongest of us, the Holy Spirit completes the room. He fills people. And he fills us for a purpose. To this end, um, there's so many other things, but I'm just not going to. I value your time. Um, when Sarah and I, I'll just, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, he completes the room and do not despise the day of small beginnings. So when Sarah and I were on vacation, on our way down, we were going to Florida. And on our way down, we were driving. Some people at the beach were like, Oh, where are you from? And we're like, Ohio. Oh, did you fly American Airlines? Oh, we drove. They looked at us like, you drove? Are you crazy? I think people fly normally to Florida. We drove. We like road trips. We like them. Anyway, um, we saw, we, on the way down, it's on the Gulf. You move through Birmingham and Montgomery. And so I thought, man, wouldn't it be amazing if we stopped at some civil rights places to see history come off of the pages and to experience that? So in Birmingham, on the first stop, uh, we stopped at 16th Street Baptist Church, which you know is after King gives I Have a Dream speech on the mall, and he speaks specifically to his kids, and he's like, 
why can't we judge people on the content of their character instead of the color of their skin? And he um, talks about his kids playing with white kids, and, and this is his dream. This is King's dream. A week later, the 16th Street Baptist Church is firebombed, and four girls uh, die. And so we stop there, and we kind of memorialize, and, and we, move, we move on. And this whole time, I'm reading this beautiful book. It's called Cast. It's by Isabel Wilkerson, which I'd highly suggest to you to read. Just amazing, amazing vocabulary from Isabel Wilkerson. The next stop in Montgomery we stopped at is this church, this little church, this little brick church. This little brick church is Drexel Avenue Baptist Church, but it's called Drexel Avenue King Memorial Baptist Church now, and there's still a congregation there. You know, they were letting out for church, and I just got goosebumps. I just, it was so powerful knowing that this, not, so it's hard to, it's hard to put into words how to explain this experience for me, but do you see the little sidewalk on the side? Like, we parked, it's, it's like this little sidewalk street, and, and around two blocks is the parsonage, so where the King family lived, and they lived here in Montgomery from 1954 to 1960, and by 1960, the work of the civil rights had exploded. It had, it had become too wide for King to stay at Drexel Avenue Baptist Church, and so they move King to Ebenezer Baptist in Atlanta, and the work continues on in 1960. But this next photo I want you to pay attention to. Okay, there we are walking. I'm really glad that Sarah shot this photo. Because our, we parked up the sidewalk, and like I said, the parsonage is behind, you know, back a couple, a couple blocks, but it really gives you a scope of how small this church is, this church building. I mean, you guys, maybe 50 people tops could fit into that community, that space. And as you see over like Luca is kind of leading the charge back to the car there, you see there's a little awning back there, that back door. And I just picture King, Dr. King, like walking down in 1954, 55, 56, you know, all of this stuff is happening in his world, right? And this growing expectation for him to be like the leader of this movement, but I'm here to tell you that it doesn't start in King's head, it starts in this little church, this little brick church on Drexel Avenue. And to see in my mind's eye King turning the corner from the parsonage, you know, walking the two blocks and then opening the back door, right? He's, he's just going to work, man. Just going to work in the pulpit. Just, just seeding seeds, just going to work. And at that point, it became so powerful. And this is when I'm shivering right now. I saw civil rights and I saw our church in a different light. And here's the light that I saw it in. It wasn't so much about Dr. King and how much of a great man he was, though he was a great man, and gifted by God to speak. My goodness, has there been a better communicator over the past hundred years? I would challenge you to find one. Just super gifted, right? But the power was in the community that he was set in. This was King's first church. Vineyard Cleveland is my, I don't even want to say first, I don't want to say first church. I've been at other churches, right, um, to lead worship but never to lead. Sarah and I have never led a church community before, a senior pastor. And so I know how King must have felt. 
I know how he must have felt standing in pulpit and seeing his weakness and seeing just how frail he is at completing the vision that God has put on his heart to complete and matching that up with how I feel about you all and how I feel about the city that we're set in and the church building that we're set in. And that photo is so powerful for, powerful for me because I'll always remember that place and looking at it and saying, the glories of King, right? And the memorials everywhere and how the civil rights movement took off in the 60s, yes? And the work was so wide. And now there wouldn't be a country you would go to who they wouldn't recognize his face. They'd see him there. But I'm here to tell you that that started in that little brick church in Montgomery. And so the word of the Lord here for us this morning is to not despise the day of small beginnings. And the steps that you are taking into fellowship, back into community, back into trusting one another, back into just serving one another and serving the city that those may seem like small things, but they're huge, you guys. They're just huge. They're just huge. Whether the yes you give is on a platform in front of 20,000 people or the yes you give is to a small group of people, it all matters. This matters what we're doing here this morning. Do not, in Habakkuk we read, do not despise the day of small beginnings. This, these are good times to share together. And I know this was kind of all over the place this morning, and I'm, and I'm so sorry for that, but I just wanted to come with my heart this morning and, and just say that, like, I, I love the church I love the church, and I love what God is doing in these times in our church. I love the stories that I'm hearing, the fellowship that I'm experiencing. The growing number of you who are saying, like, I didn't know church could be like this. This is amazing. Like, it didn't used to be like this. Like my old experience at that other place or wherever I was or not going to church, it wasn't like this. To do life together is simply a treasure. It's not all about all of these other things. It's about being together and being together on a mission. And that's why I chose that story about King. Because they were doing more than just taking up a space. They wanted to see the kingdom come. Dr. King said, I, I don't want to pass away without seeing the beloved community take shape. He called the church the beloved community to see that take shape in society, to see that happen outside the four walls of Drexel Avenue, outside of crazy construction York Road. <laughs> oh, York Road. Mike Lowe and I have been praying. This is a secret. Maybe you guys want to join us in this. We've been praying that the construction crews would be like, oh, there's like really amazing people who are in that church. We should just like pave their driveway for them. We should just like do that. Like one, we need like one construction worker who loves Jesus out there and it's done. It's done, right? So every time we drive in and we see them working down, you know, because they take it in, ch- 
they take your crowd in chunks. We were just in this really emotional moment. This is worth it, though. Um, they take it in chunks. And so every day when Mike Lowe and I drive by, we're like, okay, one more day. They didn't fix the driveway yet. Okay, one more day. You keep on praying. You keep on praying. You don't give up. They're going to they're gonna pave the road. Okay, that's where we stop. 